0: This week on Dig Me Out. Jay, we're
1: back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, this week as we as we move into the uh, plus 500s, we have been hitting a lot of a lot of uh you know, like big uh well 500 was nirvana and then we just did morphine which is one of those bands that we probably should have hit a long time ago as far as them being a unique band from the 90s and we're doing it again this week thanks to one of our patrons we're knocking them out of the park jay just boom 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 hitting the big ones we should have hit before in the first 500 now we're getting to them rolling out the hits rolling out the hits and we've been warned not to screw this up. Really? In the comments. Uh, okay. The comments were, if you screw this up, you're done for. It's basically. What's, what
2: does screw it up mean?
1: Uh, you'll find out when I read the comments. Okay. Uh, but joining us with his pick back one year later, almost almost a year. I think we did it in September of last year. This time we're doing it in August. Eric Norlander, welcome back to the show
0: Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you guys again. Um, I, I'm shocked that after, uh, I guess, you, from hearing you, it'll be episode 502, that it's taken nine years to get to this album, but I'm mm-hmm. glad to be the one to pick it.
1: So tell everyone, last year it was the Hank Dogs, not a real well-known record. You, you flipped it this year. Tell everyone the right. album that you picked this year. Why would you pick right. it? Right.
0: So, so this album was certainly on the short list last year. I mean, it's it's obviously one of the, I think the most important albums of the '90s. I don't I don't think you could really argue that it's not one of the most important. You might argue the placement, but certainly not that it's one of the most important. Last year, I think I wanted to go with something a little more, you know, obscure that that touched my fancy, and I wanted to share it with you guys. Um, I'm shocked, you know, that I got through another year without this album uh, coming up. Uh, and um, uh, you guys, you know, like, wh- why this album never came up, even in your own selections. Um, you know, because I, re- I was listening to the Nirvana one the other day, and and I kind of looked into the, you know, when I was listening to it, I was scrolling through your round table people and whatnot. And, and you had 11 people plus yourselves to talk about. Nevermind. And yet you've never gotten to this album. And I almost feel bad that it's only me like, you know, picking it. You know, like, I feel like <laughs> this album should have, you know, a two part round table, um, you know, but, uh, but anyway, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad ultimately, I guess that it's me.
1: So let's talk about Jay. Um, so for okay, in the airplane over the sea, Jay, you own this record, right? Well, I own the files. I oh, guess you what files. you want to call it. I'll own it. At some
2: point in the early two thousands, um, in exchanging music with friends, uh, I acquired this, and it's it's. I don't know that I knew it before then. To be honest with you. Um, I probably would have gotten it maybe sometime between 2000 and 2004. And it's kind of just been in my library. You know, when I hit random or whatnot, it'll come up and I'll hear it from time to time. Um, I don't, I've probably sat down and maybe listened to it a couple times in those years. Um, But that's, that's my familiarity with it. I don't know a whole lot about the band and um, I certainly didn't get
1: it when it came out in 98 So, well, and that's not unusual because, first of all, it came out on Merge, which is a smaller label. Um, The group that they were a part of, the Elephant Six Collective, was definitely, like, on the lowdown in terms of popularity. I mean, you had to be, in 1998, again, this is just the burgeoning internet. So, it's not like there was a whole bunch of music blogs covering this like there would be in a couple years, You know, when you get into 2002, 2003, then you get a lot of music blogs and, you know, your stereo gums and your pitchforks and stuff. But, I mean, pitchforks existed when this record came out, but it was very small compared to what it became. And, you know, this wasn't going to get on MTV and this wasn't going to be on mainstream radio in 1998. So it's, it's not surprising that a lot of people missed this record when it came out it doesn't have anything to do with the quality of the record it's just it was on a you know it was the time period um i like you i think it was because of our drummer mark who probably was the one who said you should check out this record cuz he was really into it and i remember i i owned it on cd and i actually read the book there's a 33 and a third book if you've ever anybody's ever read the the Bloomsbury series, where they do one album per book, and they're usually about 100 pages. And I did read the book some time ago, probably like four or five years ago, when I was on a 33 and a third tear, and I was just like reading as many of those as I could. And it does provide a pretty interesting look at how the album was written and and Jeff Mangum's uh, sort of approach to the recording, along with Robert Schneider, who was the producer on the record. And what's interesting about this record is it has not, you know, up until uh, the streaming era, when everything moved online, um, although this record has not sold a million albums yet, it consistently sells about 20 or used to consistently sell about 25,000 albums a year. Because it had a very long tail, as they say in the biz. Now, if you do go to um, Spotify, the streaming numbers are Beyonce-like. The song, In the airplay Over the Sea, 55 million streams. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, overall, I mean, basically every song on the record has 5 million streams or more. King of Carrot Flowers part 1 is 29 million. Uh parts 2 and 3 is 11 million. Two-headed boy 17 million. The Fool 7.5. Holland 1945 27 million. So I would guess altogether this record has you know well over 150 or 120 million streams if I was doing all the math there. Probably yeah, probably close to 150 million. And that's just on Spotify. That's not taking into account other platforms. So that's pretty good for a, an album released on Merge in 1998 that didn't even make it to Spotify you know, until you know, years later. This isn't like some new album that uh, Kanye or, or Beyonce or Taylor Swift is dropping. Like, that's, a, that's pretty decent <laughs> for... I don't yeah. know if any other Merge record... Uh, has that kind of l- numbers. Maybe There might be a few. We can talk about, you know, there's some other bands that were on merge that maybe <coughs> were influenced by this band. Um, but a little history.
2: History of the band.
1: They started in Ruston, Louisiana in 1989. Um, it was Jeff Mangum, singer, guitarist, songwriter. And there was like this collective with... Couple other artists, bands in the Apples and Stereo, or members of the Apples and Stereo, and the Olivia Trummer Control, and um, he got together with some high school friends, um, Will Cullen Hart and Bill Doss, and did a seven inch, and he kept the name; it was under the name Neutral Nutri- Milk Hotel, and. They, those guys went on to do their own bands. He ended up hooking up with Scott Spillane, Jeremy Barnes, and Julian Coster. Those were the, the core members of the band. And then they also brought in touring members. Um, Jeremy Thal was brought in to play additional instruments like horn and trombone, trumpet, bass, and I don't know how to say this word, but I'm going to slaughter it, Julian Pipes, um, which are like a kind of in the, I guess, bagpipe sort of family range family. Yeah. So they only put out two records. The original, uh, or the first record was on Avery Island. It came out in 1996. That was produced with, um, with Robert Schneider, um, on a four track and, uh, real, reel machine. And it was not the full band at that point. Um, He had other musicians playing with him. And then, uh, but it was produced by Robert Schneider, who had opened up a recording studio in Denver, Colorado, called Pet Sounds. And so when they got together then to do um, the next record, which is In the Airplane Over the Sea, um, they recorded that in... July to September of 1997. And then it was released in February of 1998. So a quick turnaround after they finished um, recording it. And uh, all the lyrics and music are credited to um, for the most part are credited to uh, Jeff Mangum. There are a couple spots where um, the band uh is gets no gets a credit for like horn arrangements and and some other stuff on uh a couple of other songs but most of the record is is from is a written by jeff mangum and let's see what else was there from the notes well i don't want i don't want to get into it too much because we'll cover it some in the i don't want to get into the production and stuff we'll get into that in the uh in the review. So, comments, Jay. Comments. Let's talk about what people said and how they warned us not to. Uh, I'm curious about mess this up. myself. So, Jeremy,
0: hey, can, I, can I throw one thing in real quick?
1: Yes, please do.
0: Um, so, I, I'm actually surprised to hear that neither one of you guys encountered this album when it first came out. I think if I remember last year, we're all roughly the same age. I'll be 49 in October.
1: You guys, I'll be somewhere in the ballpark
0: at the end of the month, so we're in okay. the same ballpark. Okay. Um, I did hear this album when it came out, and I mm. think, like I told you last year, uh, it was because of the CMJ magazine that came with the CD every month. Um, I don't remember what song they had on there, uh, but I do remember hearing it. I believe off of that, <clears throat> went out and got the album, fell in love with it. Shared it with my brothers, you know, anybody that that might want to listen to it. Um, Got to see them on their tour in 98. I went two nights in a row to uh, the Bowery Ballroom in New York City and then Maxwell's uh, in Hoboken. I took one brother the one night, another brother the other night. Um, Even got to say hi to Jeff Mangum out on the street of Hoboken. Uh, You know, that's how kind of, I guess, casual it was uh, after the show. And then when they, when he took his hiatus, you know, and finally reappeared, he reappeared at a benefit show in New York city at La Poussin Rouge for an Australian musician who had had, I don't know, some sort of, um, episode, medical episode, uh, or an accident. And they were raising money and he was going to be on the show and you bought tickets through Kickstarter, I believe. And i donated and bought a ticket just, and nobody knew what was going to happen. Like, it was weird. You know, this guy had been gone for so long and there was just, you know, this hush in the room. You didn't know if he was going to get on stage and just turn around and walk back off, you know, like, were you going to spook him? I recorded the show off my phone. I put it in my pocket and just let it record. Cause I thought, Oh, this might be something, you know, um, who knows if you ever see the guy again. And, and then he went on, I think a year after that, he went on these shows, by himself. And uh, again, me and my brothers went down to Asbury park to see him. Then he played the Lowe's theater in Jersey city. And then a year after that neutral milk got back together and I saw them every show they played in the area, including going up to Rhode Island where my friend lives. So I think in total since 98, I've seen them, them or him solo 10 times. And I would go 10 more tomorrow if they said they were playing. And I don't care if the set list is the same every night. That's Yeah. So there, (laughs) I figured I'd throw that in, but that's uh,
1: awesome. I mean, that's, that's incredible. I, I don't have any artists that I've seen 10 times. I think maybe half a dozen times is, is my max for seeing a band, but I've never, I haven't known anybody in double digits other than, you know, my own, which is not, (laughs) not the same. Um, right. Yeah, I think, and I can't speak for Jay, but my mind was not in indie rock in 1998. I was I was moving away from, like, rock and, I think I've said this before, like, I kind of got burnt out on, like, American rock at that point. And I was starting to listen to, and I think Jay was as well, like, a lot more British stuff. Because that's when I was done with college, or I was getting done with college. So right. And I wasn't even working at the radio station anymore in 98. I, I had left it. And, um, I was listening to a lot of like, you know, weird Brit pop stuff that I didn't know about. Well, you're the
0: Manics fan, right?
1: The Manics, a lot yeah. of super I'm, I'm more Suede,
0: I'm team Suede.
1: Yeah, well, oh, no, I, I like Suede, and I, yeah. I got the, um, Electricity album when it came out, but I was also, I was really into Blurs 13 when that came uh-huh. out, and, um... It's also when I started listening to like a lot more electronic music, like I was getting into Massive Attack. Right, right. And, um, uh, but I, my mind was just, and that's like a, within a year of that would be when Jay starts listening to like a lot of action rock from this, from the, uh, Scandinavian, right. That's when like the helicopters appear and uh-huh. those bands. Yeah. Although
2: I liked, um, I'm, I'm a little surprised I wasn't more familiar because I, I mean, I did start getting into bands like Cursive and Bright Eyes and, you know, it's in the ballpark of this um in the Omaha scene about that time, like ninety nine, two thousand. So I don't know. I just never was on my radar um up until I guess Mark was giving me the files, and I sort of it became, it was just putting out part of my library and part of my listening experience.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it really does. It doesn't matter. I think I think, you know, I, I wrote some things down. I wanted to, you know, like touch upon when, you know, talking about this album. And, and to me, this is like one of the most, you know, best examples of an album where you would say to somebody, yeah, but how does it make you feel right? Like we can talk about the production and we can talk about the history. And I, and, and I'm sure people have written you know, thesis, you know, theses on, on the lyrics. And you know, I can't profess to know it that well, but it's like one of those albums where you just, you play for somebody and then you go, yeah, but how did it make you feel like you might not like the way he sings totally, or it may not have enough or too much instrumentation, but it's just, you know, yeah. It's like, how did you feel coming out of listening to this record? Yeah. So I guess we're going to find out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, before we get into the comments, I want to just say welcome to Connor Sweeney, our latest patron to join us at Patreon. That's where the patrons join. Welcome, Connor. Looking forward to your comments, comments on future episodes and your votes in our polls. Uh, so this is the warning we received from Jeremy and Matt. He said, just a warning, anything other than a worthy album vote. For this one might get you a one-star review from someone out there. Tread carefully, Jay and Tim. As a part of my agreement with the Neutral Milk Hotel cult, I voted the album. <laughs> to which Richard Waterman said, if ever an album needed cult deprogramming, I think there'll be more comments after that. Uh, Willie Dillon said, someone must have hit the decent single option while drinking. We'll get into the votes on later. And Jeremy responded, this might be another one of those all in or all out albums. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark, or, excuse me, Mike Ciaravino. To me, this is absolutely a worthy album. I think it's divisive and I understand why. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but I've always loved this record. Richard Waterman followed up with, let me just say, I know this opinion is not going to be popular. I have seen this album in best of lists and magazines forever. I gave it a listen because of this. As the Verve Pipe once said, not my cup of tea. This album is for lovers of Mojo Magazine and Wes Anderson. I just can't get into it. Sorry. <laughs> and Willie said, while I can see some people not liking it, I don't think those descriptors of people that listen to Milk Hotel are very accurate. Uh, and he was just joshing, of course, just generalizing, just goofing. He was goofing. Um, good fun, just good fun. Right. Exactly. So we'll get into the votes we did get some, a solid number of votes for this, uh, record, whether it's a worthy album, a better EP or a decent single. So first we have to talk about the record though, Jay, before we give our votes, what Uh, what's one thing that worked for you on in the Aeroplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel? It definitely has a
2: uh, unique, I think, point of view um, expression. You know, there's this uh, almost demo-like quality. I think to a lot of the record, it feels very uh, confessional and immediate. You know, like the vocal is uh, really really present, um, to the point where, you know, there are times there's other music going on, um, but it's either super distorted or distant. Um, and the vocal is just always on top of that. It just gives you that sense of like, I guess, almost being in the bedroom or being in a room, you know, with them recording this uh, music or performing it and has that kind of quality to it, which is, um, you know, stands out. Uh, there's not a lot of other records I've heard that that sound like this. Um, I think vocally he's got a really unique voice um, and can push a ton of air. (laughs) I mean, sometimes when um, we listen to singers that are a little bit, you know, he's a little quirky, I guess you could say, in terms of his delivery and tone. Um, They tend to stay in the whisper range, but – you know, he will go from whisper to, you know, full out throat, full throated belting. Um, and just overall, it, it's a unique, um, identifiable voice. Um, and it, it's really driving a lot of the songs. I think lyrically, there's a lot going on here. Um, it's very, um, he paints pretty vivid pictures, you know, the, the words pop out, um, whether it be. You know, historical references or personal things or just words and images that don't necessarily make sense. Um, that's another huge part of it. So it definitely feels like a statement. It feels like a very clear point of view and piece of, I guess you could say, art, you know, uh, in terms of it's consistent all the way through to like in terms of how it's presented. It's mostly acoustic driven and vocals. And then underneath, you'll get. Other things, organs, accordions, you know, bass sounds, keyboard sounds, but it's very much secondary to the guitar and the voice. So that, you know, helps pull together and really keep it focused on that. The idea of like these being these super personal, reflective, but sometimes powerful um, songs that are, you know, recorded in an intimate sort of way so that's kind of my impression of some of the stuff that worked
1: worked well uh for me the the one thing and it's it stood out since i first listened to it you know two decades ago or whatever it was almost two decades ago is i really love how unique the production is and you know that's an easy thing we talk about that a lot but there are no distortion pedals or like fuzz or any, all of it is done via compression and mic choice and just driving the, the using preamps to, and, and tube amps to like just dry overdrive things. Mm -hmm. So it gives you this like great, uh, ebb and flow between there's some really intimate, you know, four track sounding, uh Acoustic guitar parts. And then there's these parts that just sound like a wall of distortion thanks to the way that they produced it.
0: Oh, I know we go through. So I even toe I will float until I learn how to swim. Inside my mother in a garbage bin.
1: Until I find myself again. And I think it just it has a a live feel in terms of its immediacy that so few records are able to achieve. Like so many records sound produced in a way that is slick, that sort of kills the immediacy and this record sounds so in the room with you and just exploding at times that it's just, it's a fun listen from that respect. And it, it, in some ways, it's, um you know, I I realized, you know, they, they were going for, no, I, I don't want to say lo-fi because I don't, I think lo-fi as being not necessarily always listenable, but like there is a, homespun whatever you want to you know very minimal production um technique going on here that i wish like a bob pollard would have embraced as opposed to running everything through a cassette player and then like dropping it in water and you know just some of the mixes are just so muddy and you you, it's hard to hear anything on some of those older records and i i wish they sounded a little bit more like this just it's so, um, in your face with regards to its, its presence. And, um, I really enjoy that aspect of it. As far as the lyrics go, I like that there's an abstract, you know, nature to them. And I think that that's part of the, and Eric, you can probably, um, speak on this, It's part of the reason why Jeff Mangum sort of retreated out of the spotlight is that people got really, really obsessed with dissecting his lyrics and him kind of not wanting to deal with that. Like he got really burned out from this this like as was mentioned, like this cult that built up with regards to what do these lyrics mean and what do these songs mean and and reading into all this stuff and from what i read it it wasn't as deliberate as you know some people maybe have all these like theories about what everything's about and sometimes it's about the melody and just trying to fit the words that make the most sense now there are there's a lot of subject matter in here that's really interesting about um there's some stuff about Anne Frank in some of the lyrics and um there's a I don't know. wanna say um I don't know how to put it, but there's like this almost like a fairy tale aspect to the lyrics that's weird, but like an adult fairy tale, like a uh I don't I don't know how to put it exactly, but they it it feels less structured like a song and more poetic and more like, he wrote these out as as if he was writing poetry or a story. And it it definitely does not feel like lyrically it's derived from a, ver- a typical verse-chorus-verse format. So, which I like. I mean, I think that you can hear that influence on a band like Cursive, where Cursive will play a chorus, but they won't repeat the chorus. They'll repeat the melody of the chorus but they don't necessarily repeat the words of the chorus. And 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 I think that was a big influence on the whole like Saddle Creek sound as well because you mentioned like Bright Eyes earlier. That's another thing that, you know, Connor Oberst would do is he would, re- he would hit that melody of the chorus, but the lyrics would be different so that it sounded familiar enough without him having to repeat himself, which um, I feel like maybe got not started here but this was definitely something that people picked up on so eric am i wrong about that with regards to his lyrics being sort of the one of the um touched or not in a touchstone but one of the reasons why he got sort of frustrated speaking of jeff mangum
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, what I read was, you know, even the band was kind of surprised when they came back from that tour and then he kind of dropped off the face of the earth. I I don't think, from what I've read, they really even saw it coming. Um, And I'm not sure that the the cult was even, you know, quote-unquote cult, was even in place um, at that point. I, I don't know where his frustration or disappointment or disillusionment you know, came out of in, uh, I did read one. I was trying to go through, like bring up some of the articles that I've read over the years. Um, there was one article where somebody tried to track him down and, and, you know, there's been again, different, uh, interpretations of the album and everything. I, I thought I had read something where he had told somebody that he, you know, wrote, he was disappointed in that the album, you know, in, in expressing like any artist would and expressing his art that he thought would, you know, help people, he, he you know, help his friends get through certain things. He looked around and saw that, you know, they were still going through their trials and tribulations and sufferings. And and I guess maybe he just thought he had failed on some sort of front, but really he didn't. You know, the, the funny thing is he he walked away before he realized how much that album actually impacted people. And, and I think maybe. One of the daunting things in in coming back when he did, you know, or maybe one of the hesitations was that, you know, how do you live up to that image that got created in your absence? You know, he's like one of the few people that actually, you know, he didn't die. Right. Like all these all these Mm -hmm. uh, bands like a Cobain or, you know, uh, you know, people like that, you know the cult that grows up around them usually grows up around them in their complete absence, meaning, you know, that they've, they've passed away. Uh, he, he walked away and he was still out there. And yet, you know, he, he wasn't like, he was not, it's not like, he switched his art and he was just like, Oh, I did that album and now I'm doing this. And you can find me over here. You couldn't find the guy anywhere, you know? Um, and, and you know, so when he came back, it was all the more shocking and all the more fragile. It seemed so fragile. Like I was saying before, when he, when he first reemerged, you were just like, I don't know what to expect at all. You know, Like people were even like that first time I saw him when he came back, when he did that benefit show, people were like. Just weren't even sure, like how much enthusiasm they should like clap, <laughs> you know, it was like, is it OK? Is it going to freak him out? You know, and then obviously you were like, OK, this seems fine. You know, and then you start to wonder, well, where did why? Why did he go? Where'd he go? You know, Um, but yeah. And then and then on the reunion tour of the full band, it was so. Joyous, I mean, you know, just every night that I went to, at least, and I, you know, was just the crowd and the band uh, seemed totally engaged with each other. You know, it didn't seem like there was any reason why they should have been gone, you know. Um, and that came to a halt too. Uh, however many years ago it is now, I'm trying to see what the, the last show I went to was, you know, 2014, so it's been six years. Maybe maybe fifteen it carried into early fifteen, but that's it. Yeah, it was June fifteenth
1: you know, was or June eleventh, twenty fifteen was the last show.
0: Okay, I saw it, my last show was in April, so two months later the whole thing was done. So uh, the ticket doesn't have the year on it. So yeah, so twenty so five years ago now, uh, and and then again no, nothing really, you know. So it's a, it's a weird thing. It's a it's a weird thing. And the and like you were saying, as far as the streams, the the album still continues to find its way to people. Um it, it didn't, you know, again, I, I liken it to the Nirvana discussion that you guys had. And and one of the things I took away from that discussion you had with that round table is, you know, especially for the people who who are a little bit older and were there when Nirvana hit, um, you felt like you were you were engaging it with something that was changing the culture, right, as, as a whole, uh, that you were jumping onto this bandwagon that actually was, you know, killed hair metal and was changing fashion and was changing what was acceptable to like, you know, like the, the freaks were inheriting the earth, right? Um, this album, I think, engages with people in a very singular, you know, five people one at a time, um, and it doesn't change the culture, but it changes the person who latches onto it. And then you find the cult, right? So like you sign up for the album and then you, it's like putting on the sunglasses and they live, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what, what well, once the album sinks its claws into you, then you look around and you see the people who also have, have it, you know, with them, um, and you find each other in that, in that way. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, um, and I, and I, you know, I think about that when you find somebody who likes this album and you're like, Oh yeah, that really, you know, affects me. Um, it is like, so one of the things in this album that I really like is that switch in, in sounds from, you know, you can have these really funeral type horns in some songs. And then in other songs, uh, like in ghost, you know, ghost goes into untitled with the bagpipes, the Julian pipes. And, and it's like this big circus, Right. And what's always the thing about the circus, right? The circus comes to town and there's always like the one person that leaves with the circus, right? Like you join the circus. There's always that one person who wants to go out to the world and join up with the freakier side of the world. And, and they leave in the, in the wagon or the train when the circus pulls out of town. And that's what this album is, right? Like that, that circus feel of it comes to town. And then there's a couple of people that always leave, with this album and it grabs a couple of people at a time, you know, and, and it just keeps going and going and going. And I think it always will. It's just one of those albums.
1: So you got it when it came out, has your, has has what you enjoyed about the record evolved at all? Or have you, have you been like all in since the beginning?
0: Um, I think I've been all in since the beginning. I, I think that my enthusiasm when I saw them those first two times was just as high. Uh, I mean, maybe not just as high, because when they came back, it was kind of like nothing that you had thought you would be able to see again. And so there was a you know specialness to that. But uh, yeah, the, I, I think to your question, though, what's changed is my relationship, like any good Especially album, I was going to say any good art, and I'm, I'm sure this applies for a lot of different arts. Um, but certainly with albums, you know, your the meaning of certain things either changes or reveals itself to you a little bit more as you get older, as as your life experience changes. You know, so there are lyrics that may not have interested me or affected me as much when I was in, you know, in my twenties as, as they affect me now, um, you know, where they all of a sudden cause you to think about your relationship with people who are gone from your life and the memory of them or your children or, you know, marriage, you know, things like that. There are and, and they just hit you in these little, you know, one sentence, two sentence, you know, ways. And that's, um, I think that's to one of the points you were just making about the lyrics, you know, that it is, it is, um, poetic and, and a little bit disjointed and you're not always sure what he means, you know, and you kind of can glean a little bit of it. And if you go deep on it and you learn about the Anne Frank connections and, and things like that, but some of it, it really doesn't matter to me what his intent was. And that's really what I think the best art is, right? It's like the, the creator puts it out there and then it becomes something else for each person who engages with it. And that's really where this album stands for me. I I love it knowing I have the 33 and a third book and I like knowing about it. But at the end of the day, you know, the meaning that it feels for me on the inside, whether it's different of what he intended, I get to own that. Right. Like, so, you know, Um. Yeah, it's just it's just something very personal. I think that album. Um, and I and I do think from day one I was I was in on it, but I just don't think that my relationship to it now is probably the same, and it may be even deeper. I think I I, and it's an album that I put on from start to finish. I don't think it's an album. Maybe the song itself in the airplane over the sea you can put on as as a single song, but I. I cue this album up from track one and and let it go you know unless I'm interrupted and I have to stop it but otherwise it's an album that you play from start to finish and one day we will die on our
1: that's true especially because they do such a good job of making it an album in terms of sequencing and you know running things into each other and i mean fundamentally when you break it down musically it's not complicated it's the arrangements on top of like the chord progressions like the chord progressions that are going on are actually fairly simple it's it it reminds me of like 1960s, you know, pop or something like that. Uh which obviously there's a psychedelic element to it, but a lot of his acoustic guitar playing is not it's just you know fairly straightforward, but then when you layer on all of these interesting instruments that especially some that, you know, we, there's not a lot of albums that we've listened to that have included things like a, you know, musical saw or right. a euphonium, right. you know, right. when those things start to appear, that's where you really get like the interesting layering. And I think what what I really liked about it in terms of that aspect is that it detaches itself. It's it is of the '90s in terms of you know this being a influential album going forward. But there's so much of this record that doesn't sound like anything from that period, like you mentioned about like circus music. I mean, there's like, there is music on this record that sounds like, you know, it's from, a uh, uh, hundred years ago. Right. Right. And even though there are bands that followed them that I can definitely see were influenced by that, whether it was, you know, arcade fire or, um, bands like, I guess uh, some of the early two thousand stuff like clap your hands say yeah or the Decemberists. The
0: Decemberists certainly, I think
1: they didn't. I mean, Colin like gets there sometimes with his like you know his take on like English folk, but right. um, not as expansive as as what Jeff Mangum and crew do on. Oh this no, no I'm record, not,
0: yeah, and I think did uh, Arcade Fire said that they signed to merge because of this album I think. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um when I was mentioning about album sales, like the only thing I can think of that comes close to that is probably the Arcade uh Arcade Fire's Funeral in terms of I'm sure that does pretty well. I haven't looked at the numbers. Let me let me let's compare the numbers. So I said what there was like a, roughly 120 to 50 million uh of um of this album on that was streaming. So if you go to look at Funeral I mean, yeah, these that's in the same ballpark. Like Neighborhood Number 1 is 28 million, Neighborhood Number 2 10 million, Neighborhood Number 3 13 million. I got to imagine Oh, Rebellion Lies 67 million. Um mm. Wake Up 90 million streams. So I mean that record's probably close to maybe two hundred million streams. Right. Of that record, that's crazy. Again, that's that's merge. <laughs> that's that is literally Mac and Laura running it out of a house in right. in North Carolina.
0: And that's and also a band that I've seen at Madison Square Garden, right? So I mean right. they they didn't disappear, right? Like, what would those streams be like if they put out funeral and then walked away?
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. You yeah. know um, Jay, I have to ask what doesn't work for you on this record
2: well, it's a it's a little bit of what what does, and that like it definitely has this sense of like I said, um to me like an intimacy i can, I get like it connects more at a personal level, one person at a time that makes total sense. it almost like I said, it feels like I'm in. I'm in the bedroom or I may not house show or something with these with this band. Um, and there's parts where that works really well. Then there's other parts where it's like, just for me, it's like almost too much. Like you're singing too loud and it's hurting me. <laughs> like, um, you know, he'll go to these like high, high notes that are almost like an air horn. <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh my God. And then the trumpet will come in on top of it. And you're like, Holy shit. Like this is, it, it's just, it just hits. I don't know. There's something about like sonically, it just hits this place in me sometimes where it just doesn't feel good. <laughs> um, it, it, and, and maybe that's the, the point, you know? Um, But it's, it's sometimes not pleasant to listen to. Um, lyrically it's, It's also hit and miss in that way. Like, you know, there's some lines that are really clever and pull you in and definitely create like mental imagery that you can kind of follow along with. And there's others where you're like, did he just say semen on mountains or mountain stained semen? What is he saying? Like, you know, or milky ovaries, like stuff like that. And you're like, uh, um, I'm not sure that's the picture I want right now. Like, where is it? And then, and then I started analyzing all the words. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Um, are all these songs about like sex or wh- what's going on. And there's obviously ones that aren't. And so there's just, I think the good parts, there's a flip side to it. And, uh, the flip side doesn't work for me in that way. um, uh, sometimes too, I wish like the band was a little bit more present. You know, I feel like the um, you're just so like he the vocal and the guitar is just so in your face. Um, I just need a break on this record. I think for you know, <laughs> ten minutes or so of just like let me hear the band and let me hear like the drummer and like what else is going on. Um, Untitled kind of gives you that. but I forgot like it took, it took me like to focus and take notes to realize that there's a lot more drums on this record than I thought there were. Um, just because this vocal is so overpowering. Um, I, I honestly, as I was just absorbing the, the album had not even noticed that there was a drummer playing. Um, so that's just, I think just personally, like where I'm at on the, like what, what didn't work. I can, I, you know, obviously, a lot of people um, that get to that point, um, I also felt like the more I listened to this, the more I understood it and the less abrasive it was. Um, so I definitely think there's something to that. Um, again, that's harder to do in 2020 than it probably was in you know, 1999 or 98 when this came out. Um, but it's definitely, uh, uh, I think, a, a, would be an acquired taste for me to get to the point where I really understood and can appreciate um, the, the full album.
1: I I agree with you in the sense that this is not something I want to put on all the time and it has to be, I have to want to listen to it and it does come up every once in a while. Um, I have found over time that I am not in love with Jeff Mangan, Mangum's voice, just where he sits in his yeah. range, it doesn't like, sometimes it's fine. And then sometimes it is, I have the same problem with Connor Oberst. Sometimes yeah. I love listening to like lifted or fevers and mirrors. And then sometimes I'm, I, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. So it's, it really, it's situational with, And it's all based on the lyrics, because I think the, like, or not the lyrics, but the vocal, like, musically, I I dig everything that's going on. Same thing with, like, like, Lifted, which I just revisited not too long ago, is a stellar, stellar record, but sometimes, like, his voice is just rubbing me the wrong way. And I think that that's something that I've aged into, where I have less tolerance for the vocal being like that. I think when I was younger at, you know, 20 years ago that it sat better with me, but I don't know. I, maybe I've become less, um, empathetic (laughs) to that, (laughs) to that style of singing.
2: Well, Uh, the Connor was, is a good comp because, uh, I had been listening to the, he did a record with, um, Phoebe Bridgers called better oblivion community center in the last mm-hmm. year or so. And it's because she sings, there's another singer. Like I didn't get as fatigued as I sometimes do with his stuff. Uh, you just get a break. Cause there's somebody else there to sing. Um, so yeah, I, 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 that totally makes sense um, in terms of having the same reaction um, with him. And then I, I really do like the lower register stuff. I like a lot of the melodies here. Um oh yeah. I think there's some really, really um clever melodies and just especially when you pointed out that you know a lot of the guitar chords are not um complicated. It's pretty straightforward. To to be able to write melodies over top that are just a little hooky and unique is is not easy to do. Um it, it's just when he goes to those those higher notes um and really starts belting and pushing air that it just it hits this nerve like I was today, I, I, over the weekend I was listening to, I was like, uh, you know, working outside and stuff and he would go to those notes. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so angry right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sweating. Yeah, and I, I I'm like,
0: that's where you either fall off the cliff or you don't. Right. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, like, like, uh, this is like a religious album for the non-religious. Right. And so that's the moment where the people start speaking in tongues and you either back out of the room or, <laughs> or you jump up and you start speaking yeah. in tongues as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's well, and I feel it. like Connor Oberst has mellowed his his delivery over yeah. time. And the thing that when I go back and listen to it is like he is so rapid fire and he's got he's angry and, so, and a lot of that song in those early songs and he's just spitting out lyrics. And I think it's that's the aspect of some of sometimes that I don't like I'd be fascinated to know. I'm sure I'm not the only one. What a what a 2020 Jeff Mangum Nutri Milk Hotel album would sound like. Like, I want to know if, if how he would evolve as a performer because he doesn't. There's not really anything after this, right? I mean, there's like a release in 2011 of some leftover stuff, yeah, but he hasn't really put out anything since then.
0: No. No,
1: And I got um, to imagine, like, uh, he, if he put something out, it would sell pretty well based on his. So that's it's he clearly doesn't want to.
0: Yeah, it's weird. You know, a couple of years ago, he was selling artwork on the on the website and people were reading into, you know, the artwork and things that he had written in the margins of the artwork that seemed to indicate that there was a new album coming. I mean, I think it even made some of the music, you know, websites, uh, news pages. And then that came to nothing. And, uh, you know, he showed up at some of the Occupy Wall Street protests, I think. And, and, you know, singing some songs and, but he's just, you know, pretty much low key and, and, and somewhat MIA again. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it would probably sound pretty much the same, right? I don't I don't know that there would be some great leap forward in <clears throat> style. Um and and I and I think that would add to the, you know, much in the way that the airplane is, it would just add to this timeless quality, you know, whether the album was made in 98 or 2020, I think it they would you could put it on then in 2040 and they would both sound of a piece, you know. mm
1: mm-hmm. Mhm. I'd be curious uh, um, to know what he does.
0: Well, based on the streams that you said, he probably doesn't have to do much, right?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know how much you're making. I mean, I I, I guess, you know, Merge is going to take their cut. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if it's still selling records every year and, you know, there's no cost to that other than just printing up the record, um, I guess he you know he could yeah, if he if he lives a you know pretty simple life, I don't think he's gonna be a millionaire off of all those streams. no and... no,
0: but- I, well, well but then again, that tour, I'm sure put some money into their pockets to last some years, you know, sure I, I mean, every one of those shows I went to was sold out, and the merch table was pretty much depleted by the end of the night, you know, and if anybody was like me, you know, they walked away with pretty much every t shirt that was being sold, you know including the one that he hand drew that I paid 50 bucks for, you know, I've got both versions of the box set that they put out. Cause it came in two different colors, <laughs> you know, like a first and second printing. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, anything that carries that logo on it because it comes out so infrequently, you know, I pick up uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of people like me. Um, so I got to imagine, you know he he and I think he leaves leads a pretty modest life. You know he's not a guy who's, you know, got a mansion with with an indoor swimming pool and and you know seven cars. Um, so I'm sure I'm sure he's doing whatever he wants to do. Uh, you know and God bless him. But um, but I I do wish that he'd put a little more you know music out into the world uh, for sure and 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 I mean, and I don't even mean just mean him. I mean I mean the band too. I mean, I think the band is wonderful. Uh, I think they contribute so much to the the joyous cacophony that is you know, neutral milk hotel. you know to uh, julian coster is is like the 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 weirdo Johnny Greenwood. I mean, that guy can play like everything. you know, when you see them live, he's just wandering from one instrument to the other. And it's and it's wonderful to watch. You know, I had the same feeling watching him as I, you know, the times that I've seen Radiohead and you watch Johnny Greenwood walk from one instrument to another, you know. Um, So so I just wish that band was around.
1: And you can go. They actually still have an active website called Walking Walls, Walking Wall of Words, and they sell an entire box set of Neutral Milk Hotel music with some posters like basically everything they recorded with right demos that's the box that i'm and, talking about yeah yeah and so for like a hundred bucks you can get the, the whole box set and there's t-shirts on there and so i would imagine right. the merch probably does okay based on you know
0: right.
1: the 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 scarcity of anything right so
0: but neither so neither one of you guys had that conversion, huh? I'm getting a sense of the how does it, how did it make you feel that didn't really land with you guys. And that's okay. Um, actually, I have a funny story. If I, if I can just say this one thing. When I saw them at the Bowery Ballroom, uh, which was the first time I saw them, it was the next night uh, that they played Maxwell's. So I, I took my one brother and I took a friend. There's the three of us. And um, two things happened that night that, that were kind of funny. Uh, one, my brother went up to the bar and he was about to order, and the the bartender made a beeline off to the side. And my brother got all offended, like, you know, he'd been waiting a long time. He turned around, and it was Michael Stipe that the bartender made a beeline for. Michael Stipe just kind of shrugged his shoulders like, hey, I'm sorry. I stole the bartender from my brother. Goes, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, he comes back to the table, and my friend, who we took, we're, the show is maybe three songs in, four songs in. My friend is stewing. He's one of these people that didn't get it, you know, Mm. he didn't really know them. I I had been like, oh, you got to come. He's a musician himself. And he sat there. uh, We had a table up in the up in the upper area and he was just seething and he walked out. He was like, I don't understand how this band could be popular and I can't get my music heard and I don't like anything I'm hearing and I don't like anything I'm seeing. And I just don't understand how this room could be filled with people that love this. And he got up and walked out. I've never seen that happen before in my life. <laughs> wow. You know, it's that is, and to me, that's like the ultimate, <clears throat> you know, there are people that just are in love with this band and this music. And then there are people that will walk out four songs in and not even get the value of their, you know, ticket you know, and stay the whole show. Um, and I, and yeah, I've never forgotten that. And, and, and that's okay. Right. Like that's that I kind of love it more because of that, you know, because it, it, it engenders that kind of response.
1: Well, to your question about the, the religious conversion for me, no, I mean, I've lived with this record for a long time. I, I mean, I will, this isn't this isn't like something that we you sprung on us I was like, oh, I've never heard this right, before. Right, right, sure. So I think what has evolved for me in uh, in the appreciation of this record is I understand it in its sort of historical place better because we've had the last 22 years of music, and I can hear all of its influence on – I mean, this, this record – I was thinking about this today – is probably – more influential on the 2000s than Nevermind is. Like sure. in, in terms of what happened in the 2000s, especially 2000 to 2010, this record is kind of the game changer, and and Nevermind was the game changer from like 1992 to 1996 or 97. But when this came along, I mean, this affected. So much of the music that I listened to, and I think we've encountered this before where with um, Slint's Spiderland, I appreciated what they did, but I liked a lot of the bands better that they influenced than them. And I I like this record, but I would rather go listen to Funeral by Arcade Fire or um, a cursive record because those just like connect to me connect with me a little bit stronger and maybe it was because i wasn't you know a lot matters is when you discover the record and i sort of discovered the record offhandedly like you should check this out because i'm listening to this and i went okay i'll give it a listen and it was probably around the same time that i was listening to you know 2002 or so when when lifted came out from bright eyes it was probably around the same time so it was like a part of a a number of records that i was sort of hearing for the first time and going oh this is this is different and this is interesting because it wasn't like anything that I was listening to and it wasn't like anything that I was writing um, you know as a, in a band or solo so it didn't it wasn't that I have never converted it's just like I understand its place but I'm ne- I'm never gonna be like tracking down you know every tiny scrap of information it's just it's not that it's not that it didn't connect with me in that way it feels like a,
2: a record that probably would connect better to somebody in their i don't know 20s early 30s i can't imagine um i don't know just something about it that feels more of youthful and of that time like trying to figure things out and first relationships and that sort of thing as opposed to 46 year old men like us
1: (laughs) well and also like you you know mentioned about like them touring and and jay i think you mentioned like the house show sort of scene that was happening which was happening in parallel to when we were playing shows like we never went to those shows um that was just like that was the that was the indie thread and we were not in that world i wasn't in that world as a listener and i wasn't in that world as a As a musician. Like we were at bars. We we were playing the bars and the and the the venues. And I knew that there was this was happening with regards to the the, and people we knew were going to those shows, but for whatever reason, like that never appealed to me. Maybe it was the fire code violations that were happening that I just couldn't wrap my head around. (laughs) But but I just that was just not my thing. That was not my scene. And I was a little bit older when that was happening too. So I know that you're a little bit older than, than me, Eric, which, which Jay as well, but like, it was weird because, you know, I started playing in, in a, a band for real when I was what? 26. And so there were kids at house shows who were like 19. And I felt like out of place if I was around those people, because those were like kids. I'm already graduated from college um, you know, I have a car that I pay, you know, uh, I, I pay, make a payment on and, and like these, these kids are still like, you know, they're playing to people that are in high school. And I was like, that's not my scene. That was, that was right. too young for me at that time.
0: Right. But in talking about these guys, I mean, the, the, the house, you know, or the house show thing, I think I, when I hear you say that, I relate that more to like when he reemerged and was playing those smaller shows on his, on his own. Um, the, when I saw neutral milk, even the first time, I mean, you know, I saw him at the Bowery ballroom, you know, in, in Manhattan. I mean, you know, that was a, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not radio city or, or Madison square garden, but it's not, it's not nothing, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and even the next night at Maxwell's, Much smaller room, but I think a lot of bands played Maxwell's when it existed to say that they played Maxwell's. It was like playing CBGBs, you know. Um, You know, there was a cachet for playing the Maxwell's room. Um, But certainly, when they played the Bowery Ballroom and and sold it out, you know, um, I I think anybody who was there to see that would have thought that this was a band that you know, in in another year or two, you would see probably at least at Radio City Music Hall. You know, I'm not sure that they. You know, although I would love to see them at the Garden, you know, um, um, but I, I think that you probably thought the trajectory that they were on would have pulled them at least up to, you know, Radio City Music Hall. Um, so it wasn't like they were small and 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 unknown. Um, you know, at the, even at the time, they were just known to, I guess, the people who had tripped to that album on its first pass. Gotcha.
1: All right, we we have to um, we have to get to the the big thing, the big the big uh, everybody's been waiting for. Uh, I don't reading. envy
0: you. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Worthy the <laughs> album better EP or decent single? Yeah. I will say that on the poll on on Patreon, not everybody went with were the album. So, luckily those votes are anonymous. Ours are not. Jay, right, right. What do you say?
2: Well, I think in the poll, we didn't get any EP votes. So I'm going to I'm going to cast my EP vote. Um, My EP would be in the airplane over the sea, two headed boy, Holland, 1945, ghost and
1: two headed boy part two. Interesting. So six on EP. Yep, I think the. I
0: get a good cut out untitled in there. (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I don't see how you roll from ghost to two-headed boy without untitled.
2: I, I could keep it. I could keep it. Seven songs. Yeah, that would give me enough flavor. Like I like Okomle, but it's eight minutes, and it's I, it'd be good at three, but it, it it's too long. Um, so that's no more king of, of carrot from. flowers. No.
1: Mm. All right. Got kind of to trim it down. <laughs> trim it Interesting. down. Interesting. I'm going to disagree. I think it's a worthy album. Um I like listening to it top to bottom. I don't I don't think there's a really good way to separate it. Like to me it just flows you know from one track to the other and and you just digest it all at at, at one uh you know sitting and it's not really a long it's not a you know terribly wrong record. It's only forty minutes, so it doesn't overstay its welcome. I think any longer. I think if this was like two minutes longer, it would start to wear on me in terms of listenability. you know, re-listenability. Whereas, you know, when I was prepping for this, I would just put this on repeat and just keep listening to it and I didn't I didn't get burned out. So and it, you know, like I said, this is a record I've been, you know, I've heard and listened to over two decades. So, it's not I I haven't come to this opinion over the last week. I I knew that I liked this record and and I knew where where my I guess my one weakness or my one um not weakness, but one uh issue with it is just I got to be in the mood for it. It's not an all the time record for me. And that's, and I, and that is my thing basically with any record is, do I love the vocalist enough that I'll put it on at any time? And that is usually the one thing that, unless it's instrumental music, uh, that's the one thing that will decide whether it's an all the time record or just when I feel like I want to listen to that record. So, cause there's definitely a lot of vocalists where I'm like, I don't want to listen to Leonard Cohen when I'm getting ready to, you know, <laughs> not that I go out anywhere, but that wouldn't be something I would put on if I was going out. Would be, you but know. is that
0: because just getting ready to go out does not engender listening to Leonard Cohen? I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I
1: Yeah, I want, I want, uh, I want uh, Republica ready to go. No.
0: <laughs> right, no, right, 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 right. I'm just saying, like, I, you know, for me, it's more of like, what is my emotional state in that moment when I'm putting this album on? If I'm, you know, this is certainly one of my desert island discs, but so is Appetite for Destruction. So, you know... I think, depending on what I'm feeling, is which album I'm going to put on. You know, sure, yeah, right,
1: yeah. And that's what I'm, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's very much driven by the moment. So, uh, it's not going to be all
0: the time.
2: I would say I like this record more than I did, you know, a month ago. A month ago, when this this was one of those records where. You know, I would just put my library on random, whatever, all day while I'm working, and it would come up, and it'd be like, "Why do I have so much Neutral Milk Hotel? <laughs> <laughs> like, why does this keep coming on?" And I keep getting <laughs> they yeah. only
0: made one, song, two albums. Yeah. Like, how many albums on.
2: do they make? Like every third song, <laughs> I have a forty thousand song library, and every third song is Neutral Milk Hotel. What the hell is going on? Uh, so I definitely understand it and appreciate it more now than I would have, say, a month ago.
1: I'm gonna. I'm not even. It's worthy the album for you, Eric.
0: I know. We know. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, but it's, if you it's had to the... cut
1: one song,
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> gonna... uh, no. I, it, uh, I I agree with Jay. It would be O'Cumley. Yeah. Yeah. It's just too long. Yeah. It just it's a little too long. But again, you know, one of those songs when you see it live has a different kind of resonance. You see him up there, you know, and when he starts uh hitting the guitar, you know, um um what three quarters of the way through uh when it when it uh when it kind of shifts gears a little bit. You know, there's just a power to it that that's live. Um but it, that happens for a lot of songs and a lot of bands I would I would probably say. Um but yeah that that one song I think I would not drop it from the album. I would just cut a few minutes out of it. Um, but again, to your point, Tim, I think it's a 39-minute long album. So yeah. I don't really mind it um, at all. And it has its place in the sequencing. Maybe if that that album was more poorly sequenced, you could drop it off. But as you mentioned, you know, when we started the, you know, recording, you know, this is an album that really the one song tends to flow from another. That's my biggest problem with listening to it on Spotify or whatever. You know, it, it kind of like gets janky as it switches from one to the other you know you like have a momentary drop off sometimes um, right in some of the in some of the songs and i i just want to like you know you know kick my phone across the room when it does that um because it's just so like jarring that's like wait that's supposed to just blend right from one to the other
1: i do want to get to our poll on patreon 13 votes 85 percent were the album 15% Fifteen percent, decent single. Oof. We know Richard was not a fan, but I feel like there's two votes there for decent single, not one, to get to fifteen percent. So I'm curious. I wonder who else voted for a decent single. Not I. And I
0: actually don't think I voted, so I should I should vote on. That. I was I. picked well, you it can't I, now. I it's too late. Recording. I don't think I put in a vote, so <laughs> that might skew your. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you messed with the percentages there. It's all right. Yeah,
0: yeah. that's <laughs> all right.
1: It would be like 87-13. Okay. okay. But uh, thank you for suggesting this record. This has definitely been one that we have been needing to do for a long time in terms of its place, not only as an important record in the 90s, but how you know, many bands were influenced going forward. And if we ever get into a, you know, we do the eighties podcast exclusively for Patreon. We do want to do a two thousands podcast at some point down the road in the same way, like every other month and pick out some records. And I I bet that this would come up a lot in terms of what artists were, are we hearing in terms of influence? Cause I feel like this was uh, one of the big one of the big uh, cultural shifts in terms it, of uh, music. So It
2: reminded but, me uh, maybe a little bit then of uh, Slit, Spiderland in that yeah. way.
0: Yeah. But I think so even that, more. All, if they go back out on tour in 2023 for the 25th anniversary, would you go?
1: If they came to Columbus, yeah. I'm not traveling for it. And here's why I've done traveling for bands that I really like. Like I traveled for failure to see them in Chicago. And I was, I got like old man, like I was standing there forever. And (laughs) like, it was, it was raining outside to get into the venue. And I was like, so annoyed by the like, waiting and and waiting. And then I was tired (laughs) because we drove into Chicago for the same Uh day. And I was like, why did I I'm not even having fun now. Why did I do this? (laughs) So, Uh, but if they came to Columbus and played, you know, a a venue here that was appropriate, sure. Because I realized, I recognized like, that'd be a pretty special thing. Like I'm mad. I didn't get to see, I would have loved to have seen Arcade Fire on that first tour. Right. I think that that was something special.
0: Right. I saw that at Central Park and David Bowie came out. Yeah, that, like was, that that
1: was pretty great. Yeah, and I, I those are few and far between in terms of those like special kind of bands that can do something interesting. Lot a lot of bands, you know, they play their record live, and that's fine, but it's not the necessarily the most interesting thing. Whereas I I know that there are bands that like Neutral Milk Hotel or Arcade Fire that put on a amazing live performance. So, based on what people yeah. have talked about. So thank you, Eric, for bringing this, and thanks for coming back and yeah, continued support guys. of the podcast. I know that we have stirred up a lot of controversy on this episode. You can direct it all <laughs> to Jay. I want none of it. <laughs> That's all right. I'll take it. He's he's a strong boy. He'll handle it. This will be. I, I think we got.
2: You know, we 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 lived through the Slint review. Uh. What was another? We, didn't, we did another one that was, uh, oh shit. The sacred Cows.
1: Yeah. You should have a little like sacred cow logo that we put yeah. on certain reviews. It's like, this is a sacred cow. And <laughs> here's why you're going to
0: murder us over the review. But Jay, Jay is so even keeled about everything. Like, I, <laughs> I just, I'm waiting for the episode where Jay's like, this album is the greatest thing and I will fight anybody who says any differently. <laughs> F you all. Like, I'm just, like I'm just waiting for that.
1: Uh, well, I don't know about that. I know where our only huge disagreements usually revolve around a seaweed record. So
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that got pretty spirited. Yes, it did. I mean, they've got some more stuff in their catalog. Oh, and we're going to get into it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Guarantee that.
0: I'm a four man myself. (laughs) Uh, There you go. Yeah. both wrong. I, I saw I saw them open for Green Day and Bad Religion on that tour. Oh wow,
2: that's a that good tour. Bill. That's a
0: good bill. Yeah, is it was at Roseland? Nobody even know who Green Day were. Like, I cannot profess to you guys that I walked in knowing who Green Day were,
2: but uh, they so were
0: they were great. But um, but I was you know it was the recipe for Hate Tour for Bad Religion, and and those were the two opening bands. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. If you would like to select a record like Eric did, you have to join us over at the union, digmeoutunion.com, dmounion.com. That's where our Patreon website is. That's where you can get the, uh, the poll. You can vote in the polls and leave the comments that we read on the show. All different tiers that you can join us at. You get a sticker at whatever tier, and then there's lots of cool swag and things that, different levels, 80s episodes, vote in those, roundtables, give us some ideas and we'll put one together. Also want to mention we have our box newsletter, comes out weekly, reviews of albums, books, movies that come out that are relevant to the uh, podcast, 80s and 90s artists, and Apple Podcasts, that's where you go to leave us some positive feedback if you enjoy what you heard. So, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode. Come dig me out.